All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Rundown, episode 39. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli, coming to you once again from the woodjerseys.com studio. You can see my lovely uh, Boston Bruins. Frank says a little closer, and you can really see the intricate work on that uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. One, you can get all of them at woodjerseys.com. Of course, uh, they're licensed NHL apparel, and uh, they're getting more teams all the time. It's fascinating, and they look really cool. And I like, Frank, that you put it up close because I think people get a better sense of just how cool it looks. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? Oh, I'm, I was, I was kind of laughing. Um, I, I try to stay off social media on uh, on Father's Day and stuff like that. And I saw, you know, you just do test- belly flops. I saw you. Yeah, the pool. Uh, that's no belly. But, but I should have showed you the end product, buddy. That was just like uh, my father was a was a professional diver. Was he really? And, uh, well, I shouldn't say professional, but he was like uh, my my dad had uh, leg perthies when he was young. So he was on crutches from the ages of 12 to 15. So couldn't play any other sports, but he could swim. And like, he was a really good swimmer and diver. So when I was a kid, my, we used to go to the swimming pool and my dad would be doing all these different dives off the diving board. I'm like, are you kidding? So I can do a very simple, but my entry is, uh, is quite good. I should have probably uh, put the so uh, entry. You're on. a no splash entry guy. Is that yeah. what you're well, me? no, I'm not that good, but uh, um, plus I don't like to dive from high. Right. Like I like the, I like the, like the five meter one. That's max. I can't I, go 10. Meters. I am. I know this is going to shock you. I am definitely not a no splash entry guy. There is nothing graceful about me doing anything, let alone getting in a pool. Oh yeah, man. I love it. It was outdoor. We got the outdoor pool at the, at the, at the Glendale golf course. So it's uh, it's like the greatest thing we've ever done. My son loves to swim. So you spend hours out there just relaxing. And uh, but I saw like the people were freaking out and I, I'm kind of like, I didn't understand it. Why like Robin Leonard and Mark Andre Fleur, we're going to have Kevin Woodley come in. So he's going to go really in depth. He's like our goalie guru. He's going to join us today to talk about it. But I was kind of surprised because Vegas got to the, to the, you know, where they were all regular season. And I don't know the exact number, but like, I want to say it was 20 straight games where they just rotated back and forth. And I know that this is playoffs and it's different, but Robin Lane is still a pretty good goalie. So I, I kind of was surprised at the uh, f- uh, people thinking like, oh, this is a terrible move and it was going to backfire. Well, I, I can understand why the reaction was that way for a number of reasons. One, Robin Leonard has played one game in three weeks. The last time out, he was shelled. 
And then you look at how well Marc-Andre Fleury had played, not just this season, but also in these playoffs. He was the leading, you know, go to Vegas. He's the guy at the top of the sports book in terms of Conn Smythe favorites. So he's been fantastic. And then he has this ugly error in game three, hands the game to the Montreal Canadiens. And to then have the leash yanked that quickly, like that to me is what's shocking because now at a certain point, you know, and we, we did, we talked it, we'll go in depth as you mentioned with Kevin Woodley about it. But to me, the tough part now is going back to Marc-Andre Fleury. You've now said publicly to everyone, at least this is how I view it, that you don't trust Marc-Andre Fleury to rebound. I would have thrown him right back out there right away. Get it out of your system. Get back to playing. Stop thinking about it. And now instead, to everyone who has seen your, your gaffe, it, it's become a focal point and a talking point more than it should have been. Yeah, so, Yeah. I think it's actually easy because they'll just because Lander hasn't started multiple games in a row in a long time. So it's really easy uh, to just go back to Flurry. You're in Vegas. Uh, I actually, you know, what's funny, Frank, and I like I watched that that play again, and I, I give Flurry credit. He's got a really good sense of humor. I love the fact that in practice he was he was reliving it, but then doing it successfully and cheering himself. But I actually felt his decision making on the poke check in the earlier game w- was worse. Like the the mishandling of the puck was just it's unfortunate like it's really I don't think it was anything more like it's you couldn't have come at a worse time obviously but I, I thought I didn't think it was it was that like when he handles the but puck, hasn't he earned you the runway then for that exact reason to then go back into the net for game yeah four? but but is, is that any different than what they did in game one against Colorado like he's an older goalie and I think fatigue can play a factor so they look and say hey We'll go I, and- I think that's total BS. Mark Andre Fleury statistically has proven the more games he plays, the better he is. That's just fact. Yeah, but if you look at the Minnesota series, like late in that Minnesota series, he wasn't nearly as good as he was early. And I think they read that well. And I'll say this game one against Colorado, you could have played Fleury and Leonard and they would have got shelled. Like, Colorado, and that's fair. But I think right? part of what the, you know, in addition to the headspace that he's in, about the gaffe, which was, uh, you know, ugly and made for a really tough night. And I'm sure a tough morning that followed. The tough part is he's got this other history of looking over his shoulder where another guy comes in and Matt Murray in Pittsburgh and and carries your team to two Stanley cups. You know, he sort of opened the door and gave way to that. And now all of a sudden you go to that again. It's like, is this happening for a third time, a team on the precipice potentially of winning the Stanley cup and, and you go to the other guy like the, to me, there has to be some loyalty in this guy got us this far. He got us through the first round in a high event series against Minnesota. He helped us topple the top team in the league in the president's trophy winner in the Colorado avalanche. Why doesn't that, you know, and not saying it's totally gone and thrown out the window, but why doesn't, why isn't there any loyalty to that? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll say this. I'll be stunned if he doesn't play game five. I think Fleury's going to play the rest of the series. He had a little, you know, a, a little a one game off. Uh, they won. And uh, I think it's uh, as, as good as Robin Leonard played in that game. And by the way, he was very good. Give him a lot of credit for what you say, one game in three weeks. And, and he was solid. But uh, I, I think it's a really easy decision. I, I'll be stunned if Marc-Andre Fleury isn't starting game five at home in Vegas. I mean, and likewise for Robin Leonard. I mean, Pete DeBoer's MO the whole time has been go run with a guy until he gives you reason otherwise. And in this case, you know, Robin Leonard played a fantastic game four. I think they go back to him for game five. Oh, um, my thing is we made it what seven, eight minutes in the pod without talking about officiating yet. This is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, here's how I, yeah, it's, I guess I, I get a little tired of officiating talk because it doesn't change and, and the NHL has shown no willingness mm-hmm. to want to change it. So someday, and, and maybe that's their point. Maybe they're winning. Cause I'm just kind of like, you know what, what am I going to say? Like I've, I, Hey, Lee was not good there. I don't think there's like, there's really, it's not even a hot take to say, Oh wow. The officiating was terrible last night. Like it, there, there were so many head scratching moments in the game where it's just like, you could be the NBA too. Like that's every single night. It's a topic. Yeah. 
I mean, well, to I'm, me, you know, here's I've the thing. I, I think it's time for change, though. And I, I've well, said I'd this love to previously because, you know, and I, I do think you're right. It's, it's an easy critique. There's lots of whining. Um, you know, my thing is just the inconsistency. You know, at least um, when you get to some other sports, like you have a pretty general idea, like a foul in game one of the re- NBA regular season is still a foul in game seven of the NBA finals. And in this case, that doesn't necessarily exist. And so I just, you know, instead of putting your whistle away or game management or any of those things, I think especially the NHL has an opening here after Tim Peel was caught on the hot mic. Like you have a chance to reinvent how this game is officiated and it doesn't need to be some amazing broad stroke and rewrite the rule book or anything like that. Just call what's actually in there. That's (laughs) it, man. That's all I'm you have to you. do and do it. I know it's not hard the first game till the end. The, I know there's going to be a difference of opinion in terms of how one ref sees it versus how another is, but in terms of getting, you know, each slash, getting each hook, getting each high stick, you know, it, it, because it's in overtime in a playoff game, doesn't make it a, not a hook or not a tr- like it, the penalty still needs to be called. And I think once players, get that sense through the first few months of what could be for us, you know, people watching of, you know, a lot of fun with a ton of power plays, they're going to adjust pretty damn quick because they're going to have to, or else they're not going to be playing. Yeah. They can't do it now. You got to do it at the start of the next regular season. And then just, but there should be a summit this, this summer, you should stop and take five former players, five current players, take five current officials and, and, and five members of the league office staff and throw them all in a room for a week and, and figure out how to get this done. Yeah, hey, buddy, I'd love to see it. Um, the NHL has never shown a willingness. The one thing, though, that I just, it irks me to no end is, well, the refs don't want to, uh, they don't want to impact the game. And I'm like, that's such a moronic statement because by not, not calling, calling, yeah, they you're make impacting the, ex- the game. Exactly, 100%. So yeah. perfectly said. Yeah, so it's just... It's, it's embarrassing that the NHL to me has shown an unwilling, but I will say this. I also blame the players a little bit because the players now have, have more voice and power than ever before. And while it would take courage, when, when you had Marilyn Mew and Brett Hall in the 90s do it, they did it kind of as individuals. I believe you should get the biggest voices. You can have McDavid's, you can have Kucherov's, you can have Hedman's, you can have uh, Matthews, you can have Crosby, Ovechkin, go down the list and, and get those players to say, okay, enough's enough. We just want you to call the rule book. That's it. We don't need to new, we don't need new rules. Just it, call the rule book. But and it doesn't need to be personal. I think that's no. the big thing. We mentioned Chris Lee by name. Like it's not about Chris Lee. It's not about any yes. one individual referee. It's about the entire system and ecosystem in terms of how it's officiated and the the mindset around it, that when you get to the playoffs, this is a different game being called than it is in the regular season. And that can't happen. Like, look yeah, at it. Well, te- I mean, look, you've seen it up close and personal. Look at the Oilers. Like, how do you get through a number of playoff games and have one power play opportunity? You know, the best power play in the league with two superstars maybe the best power play in the history of the league, given how the advances in defense penalty kill and goaltending not get any opportunities. Like you can't tell me that they didn't earn more opportunities with some of the abuse that McDavid alone takes two, two years in the, in the, he hasn't had a, a, a penalty called against him. If you go back against the Chicago series or the Winnipeg jets. So, and I went through, there was no, that, that's eight games right? season. Yeah. In eight games, he never had one power play, like no penalty. Did he draw a penalty in eight games? McDavid. How is that possible? It's yeah. the, the answer is it's not. Yeah. So it's just that to me. And I, I give McDavid credit. He doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't complain, publicly, but it's going to take someone like, LeBron James, you saw his tweets last week about the NBA schedule and how it's led to all these injuries and that he was telling them before the season started that we can't come back on this short of rest. Why aren't, you know, why aren't more star players stepping up to defend, you know, really what is the fabric of the game? Yeah, it's true. And uh, it takes some courage. And you know what? If you don't want might, to do it might be expensive too. Yeah, if you don't want to do it publicly, then just have the meaning. The NHLPA carries a lot of weight last I checked uh, in the in the NHL. So conduct a meeting and say, and do it behind closed doors because yelling out for everybody to see just creates, you know, LeBron James can say what he wants about it, but it's funny. If you look at the amount of superstar players injured, it's not actually that much higher than previous years, but 
the point is it gets attention, but then it kind of goes away. I think what the NHL players need to do is, is, is come up with a plan present it to the NHL. You don't have, you don't need the public to see everything you're presenting if you don't want, but make it abundantly clear the change needs to happen. I think that's the only way anything gets done because no one thinks that the NHL is going to respond to this public barking in a, in a positive manner. They just, that's not how they do business. You know, you bark and and they get back up against the wall and they say, we're not changing, but I, I just think they have a wonderful opportunity here with all that's gone on with the Tim Peel stuff, um, you know, make a change. It, you know, it's better for everyone. Ah, you're not going to get an argument for me, buddy. I think it would be great. Hey, let's get to our uh, big guest today uh, because we are going to go into the uh, goaltending position. We'll get a guy who, of course, understands it from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. He's also done a goaltending consultant for Hockey Canada and a few other organizations. Uh, we welcome to the pod Kevin Woodley. And uh, Kev, always great to have you, man. Uh, the first question I have to ask you is uh, Leonard Fleury. People were fired up about it. Uh, what were your thoughts on the decision before the game? And then, of course, uh, after the big win for Vegas. Well, it's real easy at the end to say good job, uh, good effort, um, right decision. The reality is we went into the playoffs talking about this, Jason. I thought that Vegas would be might had a, had a chance to be the team that bucked the trend and actually went back and forth between their two goaltenders and actually used a tandem in the postseason. And I mean, what I, I can't remember the number now because it's been so long since the playoffs started, but going into it, it was like 25 in a row or in that neighborhood where they just alternated back and forth. And within that stretch, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, who's had all the success in Vegas, had his first nine-game win streak in a rotation. Robin Lehner had a lot of success in a rotation. The problem was they got out of the gate and Fleury was so good in those first four games against Minnesota. And he had to be. Like, they leaned on him heavily. They gave up a ton of great A's in that first round. And he got them through. I think a lot of people, either they don't see it or don't remember it, Vegas isn't playing if not for Marc-Andre Fleury in those first four games. They don't get past Minnesota. It doesn't even go to seven games without Marc-Andre Fleury. So at the time, I understood why you abandoned the rotation. He was just bailing them out night after night. And then it becomes tougher and tougher to pick your moments when you go back to the other guy. They did in the opener in Colorado. I liked that decision because you could see Fleury's play drop off the final three games of the Minnesota series. As good as he was in the first four, that level slipped. Give them a night off. They get blown out. Everyone starts going, oh, like Robin Lehner looks like he's struggling. Like, no, that was just, it didn't matter who was in net. You could have had Patrick Waugh, George Vesna, all of them in there combined, standing side by side, blocking it up like a brick wall, and Colorado was going to score. They dominated that game. So I think a lot of people then coming into this decision were looking at that Robin Lehner and not the Robin Lehner who has been a Vesna finalist in the last three years and has had so much success. I didn't have a problem with it. Probably better to do it at 2-1 in this series rather than 3-1. And to me, the interesting question now is, what do you do? Because Fleury has been good. I mean, him and him and Carey Pricer and, and Vasilevsky just below it. Like, there's a reason these three goalies are still playing. Um, they've been at such a level in these playoffs, so much like head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of, you know, when we look at some of the advanced numbers from Clearside Analytics, goals saved, but also save percentage above expected. It's Fleury and Price at the top of it. Um do you go back to him now that you've given him that mental break? And you know, we saw the the puck handling gaffe, but to me, it was almost a poke check the game before. Like, as much as that has always been part of Marc-Andre Fleury's repertoire and something that's absolutely in the pre-scout for the Montreal Canadiens, like, it was borderline a reckless poke check. It was just, it was so premature. It was so early. And things like that, if you're the coaching staff, from the outside, we're guessing. The coaching staff, the goalie coach in particular, Mike Rosati, he'd have a feel for whether that is a sign of mental fatigue. So if they felt there was some of that setting in and it sounded like that was the, you know, the the reason for the decision based on Pete DeBoer's presser last night after the game, then yeah, you got to support it. It worked all year. Why would you go? Why would you have something work that well in the season and that completely abandoned in the playoffs? I get at the beginning because of Flurry. I'm not expecting them to go back to a pure rotation. But mixing in both guys is what got them to where they are as a team. So why not mix them both in in the playoffs as much as nobody else ever has, really? And so that leads to my question. We, we kind of want to focus on the evolution of the position. And, and for many years, they, they didn't do anything on it. Now there's goalie coaches. Heck, some teams have like goalie groups of, of consultants. 
if that's what got you there and why do you think teams are so opposed to it? Like, does a goalie have to get in a groove and suddenly play every game for two months when they don't do that all regular season? Like, are we still not fully embracing the position, maybe understanding how physically demanding it is. And if you have two good goalies, which I understand is rare, not many, like if you have Carey Price, there's a big drop off to Jake Allen. If you have Vasilevsky, there's a pretty drop, big drop off to McElhaney. So I understand that. But in situations like this, Kevin, do you see moving forward teams or coaches that would be willing to buck the trend of going with one guy? Probably. Well, I was going to say like, this is a league that's a copycat league, right? So it's probably going to take somebody having success. But if you look at that, like, look at, I, I know the last two years we got Vasilevsky was a workhorse, played every minute uh, last year in the bubble in a year where more and more teams went to, al not alternating, not tandems, but they used both guys just because of the workload and the unique nature of those playoffs with back more back-to-back -back games. Um, but, you know, Bennington before that, but in the years leading up to that, a lot of a lot of situations where both guys played again, not in a rotation. Like a rotation is extreme. We haven't we've seen it work before. It's just been a long time, right? Like I think it was I'm trying to remember the year now. Um, I think it was '96 or '98 around there. The New Jersey Devils farm team used a pure rotation, and the names will tell you how long ago it was. Is Mike Dunham and Corey Schwab? They'd done it during the season. They went into the playoffs. They alternated every game back and forth and won a Calder Cup. Now, the problem is everyone's going to say, well, look, that was so long ago. It can't work now. Like, look how, like, that was forever ago. What are you talking about? Well, nobody's tried it since. So I was kind of hoping selfishly that Vegas would give it a go. I do think we've seen the trend towards, you know, using both guys, but quite often it's because one guy stubs his toe, right? Like dating back to Cam Ward and Martin Gerber, right? And and him winning, Ward winning in as a rookie. I think more and more you're going to see teams start to look like Vegas has at performance. And are we seeing signs of a drop-off? Are you now starting, like, is our number, even if our number one guy is this much better than our number two, if, if, the, if the workload has gotten to a point where we're only getting 80% of our number one guy, are we better to throw the number, in, number two in for a game so we can get our number one back to 100%? It's a brave decision. It's not like you can give away a, a game in a best of seven series. Uh, it's the type of decision that leads to a lot of headlines. It could lead to a lot of second guessing if it doesn't play out. You know, it becomes bulletin board material. Look, they're not even throwing their starter at us tonight. Like, I get all those things. And yet, you know, as you, especially for an older goalie like Flurry, this, to me, this makes sense. It's just... Nobody wants to be the one to sort of be brave enough to do it. And Pete DeBoer was, and it paid off. And if it continues to pay off, I expect we'll see both goalies again, the rest of the playoffs and into the cup final. And, you know, Robin Lehner has had not his best season, but he's still, we know what he's capable of. Fleury's had the best season in the National Hockey League, and that's what makes it hard to go away from him, in addition to his popularity. Like, he should win the Vesna Trophy. And if it's Tampa in the next round, and I know that's still a big if, and if they get through, they're going to need that like that level of goaltending to have a chance. They There's a team that give, in Vegas that gives up a lot more grid A's than a lot of people seem to realize. They lean on their goaltending a lot more heavily, you know, a lot more heavily, I'd argue, than a team of their you know, quality in terms of the players in front of them maybe need to some nights, um, but but they're going to need both of them. Like, I don't see this as Laner back for the rest of the way. So I'm curious to see how it goes. It's an evolution that's been slow to come, and I understand why, but increasingly as we go to 1A, 1B tandem and mixes in the National Hockey League, then increasingly it makes sense to try it in the postseason as well. And that makes sense, Kevin. But going back to Vegas's MO under Pete DeBoer, especially in the playoffs last year, I think you hit it right on the head. They kind of seem to go with one guy until one, and you use the word perfectly, stubbed their toe. My question is, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Vegas go back to Robin Leonard for game five, but is Leonard physically capable of carrying this team the rest of the way if need be? And that to me is the biggest question mark out there because – and you'd know way better than me, Kevin, but looking back over the go of, over goalies over the last two, three decades, ha have we ever seen a goaltender as big as Robin Leonard is? I mean, there's lots of talk in and around Vegas. Leonard is pushing 300 pounds. Like, I don't know any goaltender out there that's that big that could play for a sustained period of time with, you know, this, this time of year. 
Yeah, it's it's a good point, and and I don't want to make it uh, like a like a a negative because he is big, right? Like I mean, I, the numbers fluctuated over the years, and two seventy five. I mean, he's just a massive human being. He's actually it's funny because he's a guy that uh, in the past would lead to a lot of phone calls to Kay Whitmore about the size of goalies and equipment, and then the same people that would call would would have a chance later on to see Robin in person and be like, oh yeah, okay, like this isn't equipment. This is just Robin Laner. He's a big dude and he moves really well for a big dude. Um, But so it is a fair question. Um, And I think largely if you look at his success in the last few years, it's been in a tandem situation. You look at with Grice, um, even in Chicago, and I felt he could have played more in Chicago, but they didn't run him out there every night. Uh, even when he was out playing Corey Crawford, like they still balance that. And I, I, you know, I do think, I don't think he's going to be a 65, 70 game workhorse starter. And I think the same wear and tear you're talking about has to apply to your formula in the playoffs. Now, the difference would be he's had what, almost a month off, right? So he's going to be really fresh. And now we're at that stage in the playoffs where it's every second day. You know, we're not seeing any back-to-backs at this point in the postseason. And those can really have a cumulative effect on goalies. It's always, I always laugh at this one because everyone talks about like goalies can't play back-to-back. Well, yeah, they can. The question is, what are you getting out of them two nights later, that three and four? Like, has that, you've, have you started to see that fall off? And just the size of Robin and how, and I mean, he plays a pretty efficient game though, Frank. Like he's not, he's not all over the place. He's not like he plays a game that's pretty tidy and manageable in terms of not being overly hard on the body. Like if Robin Lehner tried to play like Marc-Andre Fleury, yeah, you're probably not getting um, a lot of games out of him. I'd say at this point in the playoffs, he probably could. But I guess the bigger question is, and it comes back to the same quite, and it applies to Fleury, is yeah, he could, but should he, right? Like if if that's, that performance starts to drop off because fatigue starts to set in, you've got this other guy, use him. So... Um, it's a, it's a good point about Robin. I don't, and I think it's been a point, Frank, that has led to hesitancy from some other teams, uh, in free agency in years past. I think it's a point that led to the New York Islanders being a little less certain about locking him up long-term, despite the fact he was a Vesna finalist there, just physically and the size of him. If you're going to make that investment in a goaltender, recognizing that he's not going to be a 60 game guy, you're going to need to invest in a 1B to go alongside of him. I don't know if it's accurate or it's fair. We haven't seen him get that opportunity, but to this point in his career, at least the track record would indicate that he's probably better off in that 50 game window. And and again, if it applies in the regular season, why doesn't it apply in the playoffs? Mm -hmm. And, And Kevin, you know, the one other big question mark I have coming through all this is what does this goaltending change, given that Marc-Andre Fleury was the leading Conn Smythe contender to this point, what does this say about the trust that Vegas has in Fleury? And I know that's a big question to throw out there given how well he's played, but look, everyone saw that gaffe. And I think to me, when you see that and how damaging it was, you throw that guy right back on the horse next game and get his head right back in it. Now all of a sudden, you know, is he thinking about it more? Is he thinking that the leash is short? Like, I don't think anyone expected maybe the leash to be this short given how well he's played. He's been through it before, right? We've seen a short leash in Pittsburgh for him a couple of times before. Like, I remember the second of the back-to-back cups, um, it was a similar type situation. Like, I think it was the conference finals where he finally had a little bit of a hiccup and boom, Matt Murray was in there right away. And a lot of people asked the same question, like, wow, that was a pretty short leash, but Murray was Sullivan's guy and it didn't, as soon as there was an opportunity, he got him back in there and they won a cup and everybody's happy. Um, It's a really good point. And I thought of it myself uh, yesterday when they made the switch. That was the one part, like to have him have to sit on that mentally for an extra couple of games rather than, as you said, get right back on, on the horse and sort of wipe it from your memory and just go out and play. Thing is like, maybe for a younger guy, um, but it's, you know, it's, it, it's the national hockey league and you make tough decisions. And I think if anyone's equipped at this point to handle the mental side of that, it should be Mark Andre Fleury because of everything he's been through in his career to date. Um, it's going to create a lot more questions, especially if they go back to him, especially if they go back to him right away for game five. Um, but that's, I mean, and that's probably why teams don't do this, right? Because of all the focus and all the narratives and all the questions, maybe it's easier this year 
because you control that environment in terms of those questions and the media attention in a Zoom world a lot more than you do in the past, right? Like Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't have to worry about a giant scrum and having a PR guy over his shoulder to cut it off after the sixth question's been asked uh, about his puck handling gaffe, right? Like maybe in some ways, this new environment that we're in right now makes it easier to move on from it in terms of the outer focus. Internally, like you watch him at practice the next day, he he makes the same play, takes that takes that play behind the net and makes it a quick reverse seamlessly cheers for himself has you know laughs it off I, I think that at this point in his career we we can safely assume he's probably able to handle it um there's so much about his game like every time there's a blip everyone likes to point to oh like it's Marc-Andre Fleury folding again um like he did there's a lot of there's some bad moments 2012 to 2014 some really bad moments he's a different goaltender there they hadn't given him the proper coaching in pittsburgh to that point in his career he had no technical foundation in terms of positional staples mike bales comes in establishes that like i think flurry's become a really good bounce back goalie the puck handling thing is tough but it's like it's like a bounce it went off the heel of his stick rather than catching it flush and by that point off the heel and through the skates and I know it looks terrible, but if you watch the way he moved the puck in that game, it was assertive. It was with authority. It became a big part of them disrupting Montreal's forecheck and getting out of their own end. That would be my one fear is that he be not so much that he's dwelling on is that he becomes gun shy about going out and handling the puck when that needs to be part of how he plays, um, especially in a low shot game like they well, not last night for Laner, but you know there's been a few 15 shot nights and that's how goalies like Flurry who are active stay engaged mentally so I'd be afraid of him just you know feeling like he has a leash on him and he wants to stay in his crease and not to get out and, and play it like he normally would and that would be the sign I'd look for right if this has truly bothered him then he's going to stay in his crease on pucks he would normally play and that's where you know maybe it's in his head but other than that I think we're at a point where we can probably you know forgive him the gaff and expect that he'll be able to forgive himself the gaff and move on yeah, I, I think I think some of us uh, focus too much thinking the guys are just mentally uh, un, un, incapable of letting something that bad's happened erase. Flurry probably jokes about it in practice. He doesn't focus on. He's not going to be in the next game ready to, in, in his mind. He's just crouching over, saying, "Oh, geez, I can't play the puck." I just I don't think that's how it works. Um, now I'm not a goalie. But well, the goalie position like a- over the years, Kevin, uh, has really emerged. For many years, there was no goalie coach. It was like, hey, uh, you go in between the nets and, and you do your thing. And then they, they had extensive goalie coaches. And I think that that caught the position up because forwards never had a skills coach. They're slowly getting skills coaches. So let's move ahead to the draft. And, you know, there, there's two goalies. Some even think maybe three possibly to be in the first round. Now, I know because right now there's four starting goalies in the playoffs who are all drafting the first round, you know, two still with their team, two with other teams that, hey, if you get a good goalie, don't be scared to take them. I, I think the biggest part of it isn't drafting goalies. It's developing goalies, Kevin. So do you feel are, are more teams better prepared now to develop goalies properly, thus the fear of taking one higher is less because you can still miss on a forward or a defenseman, right? But goalies, it seems, are as focused more. Is there a, a better development curve in most of the soon-to-be 32 NHL teams? Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a better development curve than 20 years ago. There's more resources, right? We, I just I just had a long conversation uh, for, for In Goal Radio um, with Jeff Glass. Um, cause he, he was kind of a player coach this year in Anaheim. It was a unique situation, but we went back to like, you remember Jeff Glass, third round pick wins the world junior championships in 2005. Big things are projected for him goes into, uh, Ottawa's system at the time. And just because of the number of goalies they had in the pecking order and Brian Elliott sort of exceeding some expectations as a much later round pick, he ends up his first year in the East coast hockey league and no support whatsoever your first year pro your biggest jump you talk to goalies all over the place like it's not the ahl to the nhl it's always junior or college to pro like that's the biggest jump they have to make every guy will tell you that a lot of them like they make that jump in jeff's case you know 20 some odd years ago 
and well, maybe not quite 20, but close to it. Uh, and, and nothing like no support, like, cause he got put in the coast and there was nobody there to help him figure it out on your own kid kind of seems absurd to somebody for somebody you've invested a, a three year entry level deal and a third round draft pick on, but that's the way it was. And for the longest time, even when he started, like forget, forget having support in the ECHL, which is now seen as more of a development league and more, but not all teams will make sure a goalie coach gets down to see the guy that's down there because you can have guys come from that level and hit. Um, but there are still some where I, I've talked to guys who are, you know, the coveted uh, NCAA free agent signings and quite often they'll end up, you know, in a sort of four or five spot to start and they'll spend some time in the, in the ECHL and not have a visit, not hear a word from the NHL goalie coach or the AHL goalie coach or the development goalie coach. So it still happens, but nothing like before. When Jeff came up, like they didn't even have a goalie coach in the American League. Now every team has a development goalie coach at some level, some not full-time, some still part-time, but there's there's just way more support, way more infrastructure there. Still not, like I said, there are still some organizations that run part-time and their, their AHL development goalie coach is not there all the time. Um, it's not perfect. Some do it better than others, but most have more support for their goalies than they've had in the past. And, you know, as you said, like goalies are forwards are finally catching up. They're working with skills coach in the summer. It used to be forwards and and defensemen in the summer. All they did was bigger, stronger, faster, right? They didn't work on skills goalies for 20 odd years. They spent their whole summer working on the technical, the skill side of the game. So um, I think a lot of that development is sort of left to themselves, but then in the season, you need that support. It's actually a problem in Canada right now. Like we're mostly a country of private goaltending coaches and private companies. And you go to summer camps and you have your consultant. And then when the season starts, which is when it's most important to be able to watch video and go over things and learn how to play the position while you're actually playing the position as opposed to just running drills at a goalie camp in the summer, they don't have the same level of support. Unless they're paying for a private coach and a private consultant, they don't have that in minor hockey because we're a private industry. Whereas in Sweden and Finland, they develop all their goalie coaches and they put them into their minor hockey systems, Russia now too. So, um, Kind of similar thing, right? You need that support once the season is on and more and more goalies once they're drafted in the NHL have it than, you know, I say 20 years ago or when Jeff Glass started. The reality is even five, 10 years ago, you know, there were a lot of NHL organizations that did not have an American Hockey League goalie coach and that's rare now. So if you look at the, you know, teams are going to, Spencer Knight's drafted first round. There's probably going to be a few this year. Um, Goalie age has been a big thing. Like you've got the outliers like Flurry and Price who play right away. But like you look at Bennington, Bennington finally came to the NHL at 25, 26 years of age and, you know, backstop the Blues to a Stanley Cup. And people are like, oh, it kind of comes out of nowhere. But historically, it's been a position that unless you were truly elite, you didn't get a chance really until you're 25. Do you see that changing? Do you think the goalie position just on ageism alone is going to change in the coming years. Yeah, I, I think that shift's already started, right? Like you point to Spencer Knight and I mean, getting a playoff start. Um, look at Vasilevsky. Like as much as we look at him now in the finished product, like he got opportunities at a pretty young age. Um, Carter Hart will become the cautionary tale if he doesn't recover from this year's skid, right? But he was a guy I would have pointed to last year um, as sort of leading that charge just one year in the AHL, not even a full year and ready to go. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood's another one, right? Like he, he was not, you know, he was pretty young into the NHL and, and at times a pretty tough environment in Jersey and he's done really well there. So I think increasingly you're seeing teams much like skaters willing to take that chance. Jeremy Swayman, first year, I know mean, college, so he's a little older, but like first year pro this year and he gets starts for the Boston Bruins. They're willing to give that opportunity to young goaltenders. I mean, Swayman's an NCAA Mike Richter winner as, as a goalie of the year in college, but you know, it, not necessarily just the high-end high, high end first round draft picks that are getting the opportunity. It seems like more coaches and more organizations are at least willing to grant that opportunity, give them that shot earlier than before. And listen, not everybody's ready for it too. Like that's the other thing, right? Like Jordan Bennington becomes the prime example, but sometimes you go to an organization, like it can be a change in coaches. It can be a change in coaches privately. 
Um, you can find something along that path. This is one of the things for goalies that bounce around. And even though he was in the same organization, when you, goalies that bounce around, they get a bunch of different voices. And it can actually become problematic because every time you go to a new team, the goalie coach thinks he can fix something and he wants you to do it. Not every time does it fit your game. But you better look like you're trying to do it or that guy's probably not going to tell the head coach to tap you to play the game. So it becomes this sort of what's my game, what can help me get better puzzle and and what pieces do I use? Tools in the toolbox is what goalie's saying. Sometimes it's not that it took them six years to get to being ready to the NHL. Sometimes it's a spot along that path where they discover that voice, that sort of foundation, that staple, someone triggers something in their game that brings all the pieces together in a way that it wasn't brought in before. I would argue for Jordan Bennington, uh, both in the AHL with Dave Rogalski, St. Louis hired him as a goaltending coach, and then knowing the changes he made uh, in the summer months with Andy Kyoto, who's now the uh, the development goalie coach in Pittsburgh, and, and actually sort of through through Ingle getting an eye on some of the significant changes he made into the mechanics of how he played the position, that was probably bigger than just, it's going to take five or six years. So, you know, and increasingly as we have bigger staffs and, and more people involved in goaltending departments in NHL teams, they'll be able to sort of recognize what works for one and 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 sort of find more... I guess give goalies more tools, access to more tools that might finally unlock um, their potential sooner than just bouncing around till they find something that works. All right, Kevin, I want you to put on your fantasy GM hat for a second. Seattle Kraken expansion draft right around the corner. Which goalie should the Kraken be looking at talking about as they go through their expansion process? Oh, that's a tough one. See, because the caveat here has to be, and I've used this one with Jason before, my nickname in all my long-standing hockey pools is the donator. So any advice that I give on any type of draft needs to be weighted heavily. Um, it's interesting because some of the names that make a lot of sense to me uh, are UFAs this summer. And that's what makes this so unique. And I think if you look at Ron Francis's history with the Carolina Hurricanes, like, I don't know that, I think we, in Vegas, remember where there was all this, like, they're going to load up on goalies, they're going to load up on goalies. Like, when I look at Ron Francis and his MO in Carolina, I would expect them to go heavy on defensemen. There are so many goaltenders that are going to be available to UFA this summer. But in terms of what names might make the most sense, like, you know, you look at the success that Price is having in the playoffs right now. It's funny, I actually thought there was a point there where I thought he might actually end up in Seattle for a lot of different reasons, but clearly that's not happening now. But a lot of it is because he was able to back off on his workload in, in the season. And they're in the playoffs because Jake Allen was so so good and he signed to such a reasonable ticket that I can't help but wonder um, if Jake Allen becomes a target there. Uh, so that's one. The one that makes a lot of sense to me uh, for different reasons is again, on the, I don't know if this counts because he's a pending UFA, but Linus Allmark. Um, he's outperformed uh, a bad Buffalo team statistically for several years now. The only question mark around him right now seems to be an ability, you know, can he stay healthy? Because he's had some challenges um, with injuries in recent years. But what a lot of people forget is there's a natural tie in there. Andrew Allen, who's been doing the goalie scouting for the uh, Seattle Kraken for the last, I think officially for a year, but also was doing some consulting even before that, was a goaltending coach in the Buffalo Sabres uh, when Linus came up. So there's some ties there. He was a guy, Jason knows who I was banging the drum as teams were looking for sort of, you know, UFA rentals in the in the uh, trade market up to the deadline. Like he was a guy that I thought got overlooked. Ultimately, Buffalo decided to keep him because they wanted to sign him long term because they saw what what a lot of us saw in the goaltending world, a really good goaltender. Like they're a different team when he was in the net. So I could see them looking at a guy like him, uh, whether it's in UFA or whether they work something out uh, beforehand. Uh, other names. um I'm just trying to think. I don't if if Mon if Minnesota protects Kakinen and and I'd, I'd be surprised if they did. But if they do, uh, Cam Talbot is on a you know a reasonable price ticket and has has been a. Is he going to be a world beater? I'm not so sure, but he's a really steady above expected goalie. Like he's just getting like the kind of guy that would be perfect behind what Ron Francis built in Carolina. If the focus is on building a great defense. And this is the one thing, right? Like as the goalie guy, I always worry they're going to take away my goalie union card for saying this, but I've had this conversation with a lot of goalie coaches. And if you were to ask them, 
what do you want on a team? You're the goalie coach. What do you want on a team? Will you take like three elite centers, a great top four in defense or a superstar goalie? Most of them will tell you, give me the elite top four on defense and I'll build you a goalie that can win behind it. And so if that's the model that, you know, we see that a little bit in Carolina. And if that's the model that we have in Seattle, a guy like Cam Talbot fits that type of team really well. So that, that would be another name. And, uh, I'll be honest, I'm kind of scraping for, for, for a third one here. So, uh, I didn't, I mean, there's there's one in your back, your backyard. What do you think of a guy like Braden Hopi? Uh, I was going to ask you next about Freddie Anderson and his season and how the wheels kind of fell off. What happens with Freddie Anderson this summer? Well, so Braden Hopi, I think would be a fit, except like they structured that contract almost to make it sort of Seattle proof, right? Like it's, is it though? are you going to invest a pick in one guy for and, and have him go straight to unrestricted free agency in one year? And the $4.3 million cap it is one thing, but it's 5.7 on real money. So you're spending above what the cap it is. They backloaded that deal. I, I'm not, I'm not sure that would like if I'm Seattle and I'm, I, I guess the one thing is you could get a goaltender that if you turn him around and turn him into an asset, you could, use him as some, someone at the trade deadline, or if he comes in and has a Marc-Andre Andre Fleury type resurrection. And I mean, from a personality standpoint, like Braden Holtby screams Seattle, right? Like takes the guitar on the road, plays that like right down to the, like, yeah, like he, like he is a perfect West coast guy. So but you could go I like Holtby s- and Allen and make the cap hits work together. And then you have a pretty solid tandem. The only thing is it's probably kind of temporary because I mean, maybe Allen could stay longer, but hope he's not going to stay forever. Yeah, exactly. He's on what he's got one year left on his contract. Um, I just and I don't know that Braden's viewed because of the way things have happened. You know, like statistically, the last couple of years have not been great. And and if you look at the numbers, the fall off before that, I, I would argue a lot of that was Washington didn't defend really well for the longest time uh, in front of him. And you saw how good he was when the last time they did. You know, they raised the cup, so. Um, but I just, I don't know that other people view him in that same light or as many other people view him in that same light as they used to. And he's making kind of number one goaltender money and it's only for one year. Like I just see between unrestricted for agency and some of the other names we mentioned, I see options that I think would be more attractive to them. Like Braden doesn't look better when you start to look at some of the advanced numbers either. Like the raw save percentage, he's better than that, especially this season in Vancouver because they were tire fire defensively, but not to the point where you're like, this is our future number one. And just because of the age, and even though it's only like 31 or going on 32, like it's not, he's not at the end of the line, but I'm just not sure the perception is that this is a, a number one goaltender we build around anymore. Don't know if that's fair. I've seen signs of his game as he added some technical elements under Ian Clark this this season. You saw him in the two Toronto games after they came off the COVID break. Like, he's got that in him. But he's he basically rebuilt his game on the fly this year, technically. And maybe they saw enough coming out at the end of that that, they, hey, this could be our number one. But I'm not sure a lot of other teams view him the same way right now. And last one for me, um, you know, there's been, this won't shock you, there's been some increased conversation in the last couple of weeks, I'm told, around the two guys in Columbus. Obviously, Elvis Merz-Lincolns, he's expansion exempt, and everyone wants an expansion exempt goalie uh, to add to their roster. Does it make sense to you that one of those two guys, either Corpusallo or Merz-Lincolns, could be on the move? And if you could pick one, which would it be? Uh, you know, the funny thing is they could have both been on the move last summer. I'm sure you heard the same things, Frank. Like my understanding is it was either or were available. It's just that the price was so high, especially on Corpus Allo coming off that 972 against Toronto in the the, the playing round uh, in the bubble that teams weren't willing to move on them. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that both were available last year. And to go back to the whole idea of development staffs, Jason, like this is that they are the example of what doing scouting right in the goaltending department can do for you. It, one of the big reasons that the Vancouver Canucks just signed their goaltending coach Ian Clark to five-year contract two weeks after only signing their head coach to a two-year contract because that's where Clark, Ian Clark was, by the way, previously. As he, you know, he was the architect of that Columbus pipeline of goaltenders. And they can afford to give, just as they could afford to let Bob walk because they had Merz Lickens and Corpus Allo coming, they were able to 
entertain offers on those two last year and they can move one of them this year because they've got Daniel Tarasov coming, who is, you know, I've had accounts. The best description I've had of him was at a young age, he's like Pekka, he's like six foot six, six foot seven. He's like Pekka Rene, but his game's more evolved at this age than Pekka's was. So there's the benefit. You can turn them into assets and move them. Goalies are always depreciated assets. I think for if I'm Columbus and I'm looking at like the guy who's going to have more value is probably Merzlikens. But from the outside, he's probably also the guy I want to keep the most. Like, that's the guy I would target. So if you're Columbus, it's, you know, if you think he's your number one, it's tougher to move him than it is Corpus Allo. Like, to me, they kind of missed the boat by keeping the asking price so high on Corpus Allo. Um, last year was the summer to move Corpus Allo. Even if Tarasov was, wasn't coming over and you could have found somebody cheap in, in UFA to sort of tie you over for a year, that was the time to sell high. I don't know that the value on him is where it used to be. And so that becomes a tougher trade. It's kind of, again, do we give away the guy that everyone thinks is better because we've got something else coming and just take a higher pick and we're in rebuild mode? Or do we keep the guy that we also agree gives us the best chance to win in the long term? Corpus Allo has some elements in his game that should be, like he should be a top tier goaltender in this league. And there are some elements in his game that really suit the way the game is playing his patience on his edges at a time when East West play has never been higher in terms of the type of attacks. Like I know a lot of goalie coaches that look at him and they're like, man, like this guy should be it. And yet he's never been able to sort of maintain it consistently to the point now where some of those, some of those same guys that would have gone to bat for acquiring him, they're probably a little less certain than they were, you know, a year or two years ago about his upside. Okay, before we get to rapid fire, one last one for me. Um, Nijelkovic, a guy who's on waivers, that, that story's happened many times. Goalie goes on waivers, heck, defenseman forwards go on waivers, and then they, then they come out of nowhere. He's got 29 NHL games. He's still on the shorter side. Um, do, you, do you think you can be a long-term successful goalie in today's NHL when, and as you mentioned, there's so much east-west now at six feet. Can you do it, or is it is it a detriment which sucks if you're just not gifted with height? Yeah, I mean it's. I mean, hey, like you're gonna get the benefit of the doubt at six six more than you are at six foot. But I look at Saros. I look at the career that Yaroslav Halak has had. I know this year didn't end the way he wanted it to in terms of you know being Tuka and Swayman in the playoffs. Um, you know, I look at Saros, uh, Nadelkovic. Listen, I look at it this way, and this is going to be a really interesting debate in this uh, draft because Sebastian Costa is getting a lot of attention at six foot six, and the way he moves for a six foot six goaltender, I understand why. Like it's exceptional. Um, does not open a lot of holes. Tracks into pucks. Doesn't doesn't open up on saves. Like there's a lot there. Um, but I, I someone put it best to me. There is an ideal height for goaltenders, uh, and it's probably around six three six four. And that at either extreme, you are now working, having to overcome your size, whether it's two inches shorter or two inches taller or three inches shorter or three inches taller. The difference is the guys that are three inches taller are going to get every opportunity to do so. And the guys who are three inches shorter typically don't. There are teams that won't even allow their scouts to submit reports on goaltenders who are six foot one, in some cases, anything under six foot two. And I know other teams that are actually looking at the curve between drafted goaltenders, the size continues to rise, and goaltenders having success in the NHL, the size chart continues to go smaller. And they intersected a long time ago. And yet at the draft, everyone's chasing size. And for some teams, that's an advantage. It's like, man, we don't even have to worry about half the league drafting the guy we got targeted because he's not big enough. Mikey DiPietro is going to play in the National Hockey League at six foot. Like you don't, so guys can overcome it, especially in an East-West game because they're typically quicker. They're typically faster. And when they move East-West, they open up far fewer holes than those big guys. And that's the, that's what the big guys have to overcome. They're not as mobile. Typically they open big hole. Like the bigger they are, the longer those limbs, the bigger the holes that have to open as they move laterally and then close once they arrive to their new save position. So this is a fascinating debate. I do think those guys can play. Nadelkovich is the latest example at six foot or under, but they're not always going to get the opportunity. Look at the look at the last three years that Jonathan Bernier's had with it. We overlook him, but look how good he's been in behind a bad Detroit team. There's a guy who was picked 11th overall at, I think he's listed at six, but there's no way, 5'11". He wouldn't even get picked, right? Like he wouldn't even get picked 
in the draft right now and look at the career he's had and is still having. So I do think there are some teams, even the ones that buy into, you know, some goalie coaches where they'll be like, yeah, you can succeed smaller. They're st- even at that, they'll still be like, but can you be an elite number one smaller? And so it's going to be up to guys like Saros, guys like Tendelkovic to kind of prove that next step. Guys have bought in that you can play smaller or more guys have, but there's even they have questions about like, you know, the upside versus a 6'4", 6'6", guy. But again, 6'3", 6'4", is probably your perfect window. And I don't think, in a, I don't think a lot of NHL teams have actually recognized that. Like they'll, if we had a six foot eight goaltender on the market right now, they'd be looking at that ahead of the six footer. And I'm not sure that's correct. Um, but most teams are just going to give that big guy the benefit of the doubt. It's like the high draft pick, right? You get more chances than you do if you're a fourth or fifth rounder. All right, Kev, uh, we finish up with uh, rapid fire. Um, quick succession questions. Uh, you have to answer them. No sitting on the fence garbage. All right. So uh, we'll start with an easy one for you. What is uh, Kevin Woodley's cocktail of choice? Oh, I'm, uh, I don't drink much anymore. I'm just a beer guy and uh, I prefer an amber ale. An amber ale. Okay. So you get one goalie and he's going to start 60 games for the next three seasons. Who is he? We're we talking all time. No, right now. Active goal. Oh. Oh, I'm I'm totally biased from the it's it's got to be Vasilevsky, but I almost said Demko because I'm telling you this kid's special and what he did this year is not an anomaly. So, but I got to go Vasilevsky, best in the world right now. What new like a reverse VH or something? What is the most overhyped public conversation about goalies? Overhyped public conversation about goalies is probably tracking. Um, and I say that as a guy who was at the forefront of what modern tracking is, but when I listen to broadcasts and hear them talk about tracking, they just think it's sort of getting eyes on the puck. There's actually a biomechanics to proper tracking. And so the way they describe it versus what it actually is are two different worlds. And so it gets overhyped on like, oh, he's tracking the puck really well. Um, even though the way he's tracking the puck might be actually moving him out of the way at times. So I think that's one that I hear a lot on broadcast that I don't think means the same thing to us in the goalie world that it does to the people making those statements. Mike Smith had one of the best, most unexpected seasons. Which goalie could have the most unexpected rebound or great season next year? Oh, I need some Jeopardy music. Well, I think um, let's go with the one I like Linus Allmark, like uh, Linus Allmark healthy in a new environment. If that's what happens, like I, I think he's a guy that gets overlooked. And so because he flies under the radar, it would be a surprise to people. And I think he's absolutely capable of being, uh, you know, a top five, top 10 guy of the league. And the second one, I picked him at the beginning of the year is Cal Peterson. Um, you know, even with Jonathan Quick serving as a ceiling for him in LA, especially the first half, like he was a top three, four statistical goaltender the first half of the season. He's really good. In their prime, if you only have one, Price Lundquist, who are you taking and why? Oh, you're killing me. Like, can we, like, you know, you know sitting on the over my shoulder. I got, I got I got Price on my left shoulder and Lundqvist over my right with the jerseys in their prime. Oh, you're oh this. I still I'm still going carry Price. Uh, I love Henrik's battle and all the different things, but the two things that would separate like Carry's efficiency and that calm demeanor. Um, whereas Henrik at times could get a little run a little hot and stare down at a defenseman. And the other thing. There are not many things that Henrik didn't do exceptionally, but puck handling was one of them. And you've seen how important Carey's handles, as much as he's not a home run guy, subtle little chips and off the wall and into the right spot. Like Carey's puck handling makes a massive difference for the Canadians. It was the only thing in Lundqvist's game that never really evolved to an elite level. If Kevin Woodley could get one skill set added to his rec league game in goal, what would it be? Stopping the puck because every time my beer league teammates hear me on these types of broadcasts or on local radio introduced as a goaltending expert, I think they all spit out their coffee or beer or whatever they happen to be swigging because uh, when it comes to actually playing the game, uh, not so good. Well, what's your weakness? Uh, 
there's so many like you it's not there's not a quick and there's not a rapid fire answer to my weakness it's probably actually uh skating um like in terms of i learned late and so i'm very efficient goalie mover but i'm not a very fluid skater uh i'm very technical because i came to the game in my 30s through ian clark and editing his magazine and learned so much that i just had to try it and then like hey my, my monday night skate is full of guys who played minor pro and it's a good skate and i keep up but by being in position and being square the guy at the other end played pro and he's got an artistry and an ability to read plays and anticipate and bait shooters. He's a little bit older that I, I just don't have in my repertoire. I don't have that instinctual goalie ability. I'm very much A to B, get in the way. And I watch the other guys and I I marvel at that, that next level of skill. There are seven elements of elite goaltending, if you ask Ian Clark. And... I would only, I don't have any at the elite level, but I would have the technical, but it's all the other things you have to add on top of those layers that separate the greats. I don't have any of those. And that's why I love watching the guys in the NHL that do and seeing what elements truly separate them. Okay, quickly. I I was out of questions, but now I'm curious. What are the other six? If technical is one, what are the other six? Uh, I don't have them in front of me. Um, he did a whole list for us, and I, this is embarrassing because I, I had I don't have it sort of formally in my brain at the tip of my tongue. But um, technical is only one of them. Uh, the ability to be creative and make instinctive saves, compete and battle is something that you can quantify. Um, some goalies just shut it off when they can't get there with a perfect technical save. Do you go outside of that butterfly box and find ways to make saves? Um, I, I don't know if technical is divided into skating, but I, I'm going to have to leave it at this because I don't have a list in front of me and I'm having trouble. The In Goal Radio podcast has a two-part series with Ian Clark and it's all listed there. So, so shameless, shameless plug. plug. Shameless hey, plug. buddy, that's a that's, that's veteran move. That's, that's how it's done. I like and it. And I got one last rapid fire for you okay. for our league fan listeners. Jack Campbell, is he a number one in this league? Yes or no? Um... Yeah, he was this year. If he can stay healthy, yeah. Like, he was really good this year, right? They were really good defensively. Um, but, je- like, not every guy can play behind that team. And I know I kind of ducked your Freddie Anderson question earlier. I didn't mean to, Frank. Um, I think he probably plays somewhere else next season. And I could see him having a bounce back as well. Because I've always been a big Freddie guy. But there... You know, Cujo's sort of the great example of this, right? Like, the guy who... You put him behind a team that was getting shelled, and he was unreal. You put him to the Detroit Red Wings where they were expected to win and they didn't have a lot of shots and he struggled like, and he'll admit to it. Like not every goalie can play behind a solid defensive team. And as much as, and Jack Campbell's game is really tight. And that's the other part of this. Like there's a lot about Jack Campbell's development. Dusty Emu gets a lot of credit and deservedly so for sort of helping Jack Campbell, the person get back on track as Jack Campbell, the goaltender. But I got to say this because I don't say it often enough. If you really look at Jack's game from when he arrived to now, there is so much that has changed technically. And I think because he's not allowed to talk to the media in part, like Steve Briere, the goaltending coach in Toronto, does not get nearly enough credit for that side of the evolution of Jack's game. And so he is steady. So the one that goes in between his legs in game seven, which absolutely sucks, it's a backbreaker. But there weren't a lot of those this season. He didn't give up a lot of bad goals. Behind a team that spends so much time in the other end, ask all the Carolina goalies when they used to do this, so much time in the other end, and then boom, it's an odd man rush the other way, but you don't see a lot of rubber. A lot of goalies really struggle with that, and Jack has a mindset for that, and his technical game has come a long way. I think the one question this year was health because he didn't stay healthy. Neither one of them did. But if he answers that, you know, maybe not 60, 70 game. We're not talking Andre, Andre Vasilevsky here and nobody's pretending we are. But 1A with a good 1B mix, absolutely Jack Campbell's capable of that, especially behind a good defensive team. Like relative to environment, was he a top five, top 10 goalie in the league? No. But was he better than expected in an environment that mentally can be more difficult than a lot of people credit because the D is so good. Yes, he was. And he deserves credit for that. And I think especially on that team, he can absolutely be a one. A Kev great stuff as always, man. We appreciate it. Uh, and we'll let you go. Cause I know you got to get on the ferry. So uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks guys. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks Kev. Kevin Woodley. It's always good to have him on.
And uh, he's not as bad as he says as, as a goaltender, but for a guy who picked it up in his thirties, man, like when, when you like picking up, picking up any hockey, sport, yeah, dude. Yeah. But picking up skating's hard enough. Never mind goaltending. Like most guys who played goalie quit playing goal in men's league because it's way harder to play because you got to move crazily. There's no defense. So uh, uh, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, Frank, coming up uh, on the pod on Friday, we'll have Jacob Slavin, who ended the drought finally, a defenseman deservingly so, wins the Lady Bing. We'll talk to him about Carolina, but also this guy's a very interesting human being off of mm -hmm. the ice, so I look forward to that uh, conversation. And uh, a big week by Friday, we might know who is in the Stanley Cup Finals as we're down to best of threes. Uh, who are you taking, Frank, this week? Uh, I'm going to still, I, I think we've sort of been behind the scenes rooting for it the whole time. I think it would be a clash of Titans. I think Vegas will figure it out and same thing with Tampa, but it yeah. might take a game seven or two. Yeah. It's, it's the boring picks, but it's probably the right picks. Although my wallet is rooting for Montreal. As I said, when the odds were four and a half, I had to take them. So uh, I would love the upsets strictly from a financial standpoint, but uh, we'll see how it plays out this week. We'll talk to you Friday. Hey. Yeah. And Hey, before we go, uh, just wanted to end, uh, actually on a little bit of a solemn note, wanted to send our best wishes to the Curvers family, Tom Curvers, the assistant GM of the Minnesota wild passed away this morning after a long battle with cancer, just 58 played more than 600 NHL games and just an absolute prince of a human being, uh, spent his entire life working in hockey gone way too soon at 58. So sending our best wishes along to the Curvers family and everyone around the hockey world that was close with Tom. Well said. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.